Hello and welcome to The Game Pit. This is episode 208. In case you've forgotten, because it's been a little while, my name is Sean and here is Ronan. Hello everyone, you're most welcome to this episode in which we have got five games we've both played together. We're going to lightly brush over to tease you and then we're going to delve into the main course which is going to be our top not 10 of last year because it was such a good year our top 15 of 2022 which is coming to you just in time (laughs) just in time we snuck it in ronan (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna be doing 2004 very shortly we're just gonna go over a little a little time travel it's christmas time Doctor Who special is a big thing at this time of year, so I'm going to tag us along to that and call us Doctor Who adjacent. Right, okay. That's the first time we've ever been accused of that. (laughs) You're a Cyberman, and I am Billy Piper. No, you're the Dalek thing that sits inside the Dalek costume. The Dalek. Yeah, yeah, but there's a specific one, like the leader of the Daleks. He's a big blob of... Yeah, Davos. That's the one... Good. All right. I'll just I'll hand you. I'm the glad that joke. That me. joke. That joke went down perfectly. You haven't lost it. Whatever you had, I haven't. All I haven't. Entirely still there. Good. Great to have you here. Kick us off first game, Sean. Okay. So the first game we're going to talk about is Freelancers from Plaid Hat, designed by Donald Schultz. This was one that you introduced to me, Rona. So it's only fitting that you tell us what it's about. It's an evolution of the Crossroads system, which started off with Dead of Winter, one of Sean's favourites. And they've taken that idea of these Crossroads moments and rather than having them sort of a flip of a card or driven a bit more by chance, where sometimes you get amazing story moments and sometimes you wouldn't, it's become app-driven and story-driven. It started with Forbidden Waters last year, and this year it's Freelancers, which is their fantasy setting. So I thought it would be a good crack. It's it's described as a role-playing game in three hours, like a campaign. That's a bit grandiose of an idea. It is an adventure that you're playing. And I just thought it would be good fun to sort of have that role-playing vibe, but without the, the massive amount of time to put into it. Sean... It came at a slant from the off. <laughs> it all starts a little bit odd. The creatures are a little bit odd. The setup's a little bit funny. The players get are a, a little choice. bit odd. The players are a bit odd. And you get a choice. Do you want the adult version or the family-friendly version? Well, they, don't say it. they don't say that outright. They just say, do you mind swearing? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so... It's a bit of funny. You choose two halves of your character, which seems to be like a popular thing nowadays of your your background and then your profession sort of thing. So I was like an insect dung farmer, which is a very high status job in this in this universe they've created. What were you, Sean? I can't remember, if I'm honest. Um, Good reviewing. Good, strong, strong. I was a dwarf something or other. I can't remember what the profession is. <laughs> <laughs> the mind boggles. So, and then what I remember, Rachel was a cat. <laughs> Obviously, come on. Obviously, it's played in a book with an app, and each of the the things in the book is an area, and you get some background story to it, and then you basically have action selection, where each of the characters chooses what they're going to do. It can be like within a town for some story, or a, a different scene, or it can be a combat scene in which you're making choices. You'll have stats as you'd expect, and you're trying to get to the end of the story. That's all very sort of typical. The story moments, Sean, they were reaching for comedy and 
to me the experience of playing it mechanically it all worked it's well presented it pulls you in the reach for comedy in any game is a risk because if it doesn't work everyone's having a bad time because usually the stuff that people say around the table is funnier than whatever can come up in the game how did it work for you the comedy in freelancers i actually think they nailed it i thought the, the writing was really well done and i think that's pretty much what made the game for me the tasks that you're doing, they're, they're quite mundane. You're rolling a dice here and there. You might win, you might lose. It's The story's happening to you, and you're just influencing it very slightly. That's why, as you said, the story has to be nailed, and I think they carried it off. There's ridiculous moments where like, Sean did a bug juice drinking competition, and then after he'd done it and gone through it, they double-check and say, are you the insect, like my thing, the stiltkin? And they were like, <laughs> and he went, no, I'm not. And the, the app went back. That's great, because that would have been gross. Because <laughs> you'd have been drinking yourself. There's another one where Rachel was a noble. She was a, like a feline noble. And she met a fellow noble. And she was bumming it around with us peasants. And the, the other nobles sort of reacted to that. And then we had to decide, the two of us, whether we were going to accept what Rachel was saying, that we were her servants, or we were going to say, no, 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 I'm having this. Like, what are you talking about? Because Sean's incredibly awful, he got the uh, casting vote and he decided, no, no, we'd accept to be her servants. And the next thing, the app is like, just having a go at him. Just like, oh my God, you're boring. <laughs> you, know, you must be a couple playing this together. The only thing more boring than you are the names you've given your children. Like, what? Where did that come from? <laughs> but um, they're all, the whole thing built up to the, to the crescendo, Sean. It's all the, we only played the first um, story out of however many are in the box. But we were on a quest... And we completed our quest as it was presented to us by the person who was guiding us through it within the game. And then it took a twist, which I don't think I could see, breathe, talk for about three minutes from just laughing and and just stuff coming out of me. It was incredibly funny. We can't say what it is for spoilers reasons and because it's a family show. (laughs) We can't say say what, what happened in the end. But the, the three the game of us just started dropping f bombs on us. <laughs> it really did. It really did. And the best thing I can say for this game, Ronan, is that I was all set. I was down at yours. It was getting late. I was all set to leave after about an hour and a half, and just say you guys take over my character. And I, I stayed right into the end because it did grab me. The storyline was funny. We were having a good time playing it. That might be a stretch, but experiencing it. Yeah, it's, it's a story experience game. I think we did make some choices. How, how much of an effect they had, I don't know. It seemed pretty easy. It was only the first one, but it was you were there. The game wasn't throwing obstacles at you, so you weren't sort of getting stuck for 20 minutes trying to do something to get to move on. It was keeping you clipping along at a good pace. At the end, I felt like, was there a lot of consequences from what we chose? Not really. But had I had a really good time, had it made me properly laugh? Absolutely. Which is what I think it was setting out to do. So I very much enjoyed Freelancers. I'm looking forward to playing it again. But (laughs) user beware. If it says to you, do you mind a bit of swearing? Make sure you don't mind a bit of swearing. (laughs) No. All right, okay, so I think that that was a double hit for us. So moving on to World Wonders from Arcane Wonders, designed by Zay Mendez. 
This was a massive hit at the Brazil Game Fair. I think Tom Vassar went over there and sort of launched it. You would have no idea if it was a massive hit at the Brazil Game Fair or not if it wasn't for the fact Tom Vassal said it was a massive <laughs> well, exactly. hit. Tom Vassal has decided this was a massive hit. <laughs> and he obviously lauded it and brought it and reviewed it in the, on the game, the game Pit. No, he didn't. He reviewed it on the Dice Tower. And... Yeah, it seemed really interesting. Lovely wonders that go on the board. And effectively, what it is, is a polyominoes game where you're you're drafting. You have a certain amount of money to spend. You're drafting from a main board, different color types of polyominoes, villages or towns. And you're trying to put them in certain orders and certain positions so that you can then take world wonders and place them on your board. And you score points from how many of your towns you've surrounded with no gaps and your world wonders at the end. And you've got a few tracks that you're moving up. Very simple game. What did you think about it, Ronnie? We did play this together. It's a, it, I've considered it more of a life lesson than a game, Sean. <laughs> the next time Go the on. Dice Tower channel, the next time Dice Tower channel, a game appears out of somewhere obscure and suddenly it's been reviewed, it's been played through, it's on lists, they're talking about it a lot. The next thing I'm doing is going to the Arcane Wonders Dice Tower Essentials release list. And I'm like, is it, is it on there? Is it on there? Okay, I'm going to calm down a little bit, because it's exactly what happened. World Wonders, he found it or whatever at the Brazil Fair, they covered it. A lot of bars. People start chatting about it. It looks really cool. Like all these individual wooden sculpts for all the wonders. Polyomino, exciting. They're great at building hype. That's what they do. That's why we watch it because we get excited about games as well. I got all on board with it. You got on board with it. We're all excited, but only one of us bought it, and that was you. <laughs> <laughs> only one of us has since sold it as well. But anyway, <laughs> and then I saw review. <laughs> It, the polyomino side of it is is very basic. It's like any other polyominoes game. You got to put them in neat patterns and try and get them in the right orders. And but it's too, it's too tight. Gaps. It's too tight that polyomino. You not find you can't. You, yeah, you, because you've got to build off. So you've got you've got roads that you have to build off your buildings from. The only other thing you can build your building off is a building of the same color. So. It's quite difficult. You have to have those roads and you have to build this road network to be able to build off from them. There's the various colours and you have no control of what tiles come out. So you might have like set no. yourself up for a colour and it doesn't come out for a while and you just find yourself in a bit of mire. You can do or it can, can come really easy to you. On top of that, the thing that really sold it to me was all these beautiful wooden wonders and they would look really good. And you think like, oh, that's that's the game. You need to put these polyominoes together so that you can build these wonders. It's not the game at all. It's going up on the tracks. It's filling in your polyominoes. And the world wonders come to you easily or not at all. And that is completely random because they will come out randomly. If your board is set up for the next one that comes out, happy days, you can grab that and put it on your board. If your board is not set up, then you can, you'll wait until one does come because you might build towards that one that's just come out. And then somebody else, their board's already set up for it. They'll just take it. So it's very luck-based, the World Wonders, and they don't score you enough points to make it worth your while. And it all becomes like, why am I bothering? The games are all very similar. I've played, played five games of it, varying player counts, and they were all really similar. There was nothing new to, to experience in each game. It's not a bad game. It's fine. It's okay. It wasn't one that I wanted to keep in my collection. The juice ain't worth the squeeze. 
<laughs> okay. Other than that, I agree with absolutely everything you said. But you're going to be wrong about the next one. <laughs> okay, so the next one is Race to the Raft from City Games and Frank West. Very much a, a follow-up of sorts to Isle of Cats, which myself and Ronan are big, big fans of. So I will say I was excited for this one, Ronan. I wasn't sure you were that excited by it, but that's good to know that you were excited. I was excited for it, yeah. In the yeah. past tense, you were excited for it. I am <laughs> excited for it. So it's a co-op, again, a polyomino. Polyominoes are everywhere. We're drowning in polyominoes. But it's a co-op polyomino game in which there are many, many, many scenarios and many more available. If you get this, you're not going to run out of games soon. And you have various colours of cats and they can only move on a colour of squares and they are going to have a destination. And all of this can be set up in varied ways. You, Like I say, you have dozens and dozens of scenarios. And then you're trying to get them to a one or two rafts, depending upon the scenario, by laying out polyominoes. And every time, more or less, you take a turn, not every turn, but nearly, you're going to have to put fire out, which is going to limit your options. And in building the pass for one colour of cat, you're going to be cutting off the colours for others. You can layer them over each other. And you're just trying to, in the amount of turns that the game gives you with this fire increasing all the time, you're trying to get all the cats to safety on the raft. You can talk before the round starts. Then when you start drafting cards, you're not supposed to talk to each other. Uh, you're just supposed to suggest, oh, I'd like to go next. I'd like to go next. And it's why they sort of the communication's a bit... I don't think there's enough there with the lack of communication and the simplicity of the task for more than two, maybe three players. But Rachel and I, it is something that we enjoy playing co-ops where there's some limit to our communication. Sky Team, I'm going to review sometime soon. We've been playing that recently to see whether that does it well. For us, it was one of those addiction moments. If we got it out, we started playing, and about three hours later, we played however many games of it. And when we come back to it, it's never one or two games. It's always multiples. I think you hit it from a different angle. I'll start off by saying, as as from a review of World Wonders, I'm not the biggest polyomino tile layer fan so there's that to start with this one i just found it and i i haven't really delved into it because i didn't like it at all so i just found it a little bit boring i wasn't really interested uh, when i was interested it was more frustration than enjoyment and i just didn't understand the light for it don't give it a light nat absolutely did like it she wants to play it more so i will end up playing it more but and hopefully finding something in there but the initial plays just didn't do it for me Ron. give us a bit more tell us a bit but like you didn't like it but what what was bothering you i didn't like the kind of semi faffy non-communication communication either have nothing or be able to talk about it that, that's kind of it, it felt neither fish nor foul to me i also that's a sean bingo I'm, that's I, good i like that <laughs> I also am not very good. That's one of the reasons I don't like these types of games. I'm not very good at them. So frustration with myself because I felt like I was letting that down. The fire was moving too quickly for me. I was really struggling to get things done. And I don't thrive in that sort of atmosphere. I'm a, I'm a plentiful person. I like plentiful and <laughs> grandiose choices. I don't like sparsity or, or pressure. You have a plentiful frame. <laughs> I do have a plentiful frame. Yeah, I think it comes down to that thing of I like being beaten up a little bit in, in a game only, or, you know, another second. Really? And you don't. So if you like being beaten up a bit in a game, 
then racer up might be for you if you like those hidden communication carbs it's a particular niche you know if you like it or not it is within there i don't think it's exceptional within the field however we enjoy it so much that we're getting a lot of fun out of it i think race of the raft is a very good attempt at what it's trying to do i think it is a bit ugly but <laughs> but the tension of the fire i love it sean doesn't that's the way it is we're going to go from fire to a kind of fire but mostly water <laughs> we're going to sea dragons Ronan, from fractal juegos Designed by Yaniv Kahana, Simeone Luciani, there's a name familiar to us, and Pini Shektar. Another name familiar to us. <laughs> Indeed. We, st- we spoke to Pini quite a lot uh, back in the day. <laughs> this is more or less another polyomino game, Sean. Mm, oh, it definitely yeah. is. You have two cards, and they give a shape of a dragon. It's a polyomino shape. The fact you don't have a tile, it's just you're laying your wooden pieces out. Onto a grid, it's in four quadrants. You're attempting to get area majority in the four quadrants. Whoever has them each quadrant is going to score points. You're also attempting to cover certain things which are already marked out on the board. Some of them are ships, which when you capture them, you can hand them in for contracts. Some of them will give you extra gold because it costs you money to go adjacent to anyone else. And the trick is you can never go adjacent to yourself. And as you'd expect, the polyomino shapes can help or not as you're trying to put your dragons out. And some of them actually cover coral cards, which you can get special powers to bend the rules in some way. It is a quick, attractive, hidden as a polyomino game. That's really what it is game which you got me from Essen. Yes, you did. Yes, I did. I agree that it's a polyomino game, but it's a different type of polyomino game in that you're not trying to put things together to form bigger shapes. You are very much trying to cover things on the board and use them as area control. And that's where the the game realizes it's the area control because you're trying to control with your color of dragons the four quadrants of the board and you're trying to overlap into other people's business and stop them scoring as much if they're dominating an area so there's there is a lot going on in what is quite a small framework yeah it's a quick simple game you have a limited number of rounds spent upon the player count and yet it seems like most turns when it gets to a player's turn they do have to stop and go oh and very often you're looking at the player to your right going why have you gone exactly where I was going to go? <laughs> because, and that interaction is sort of part of the key to it. It is much more interactive than a lot of polyomino games. It is competitive, sharply so. It is played on a shared board. It does feel almost like it follows some more old-fashioned tenets of board game design in which we're going to play within this shared space and compete over limited resource, in this case, space or the tokens we can cover over. I thought it might be a quick, attractive hit... It has got very player counts. I would say that the higher player counts, you do get a bit of downtime, which is strange for a quick game. But it's always interesting where someone else has chosen to go because it always impacts you. And if they're choosing to compete with someone in another quadrant and you're competing with either of those two in, a, in your you know, your area, where you're, it's not your area, but where you've chosen to go, it affects you like, all right, we've only got a certain amount of dragons to lay out here and if they're going to start racing over there this is going to make this a bit easier for me so perhaps i can start being more ambitious and branching over there attempting to do that and because everything is so limited in what you can gain every move affects every other player but within a light scope you're not breaking your head playing sea dragons yeah and i felt that 
there was always something to do, whether it be improving your score or hindering somebody else. You can cover over the whirlpools to make an area less attractive for scoring. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. That is very cool. I might not be able to do much to enhance my own scoring where I'd be dominating in one quarter. But Ronan, I can see he's absolutely smashing another quarter. I'll just go and take out a couple of whirlpools, which will lessen his scoring because you multiply the whirlpools by your dragons. And And yet that's going to cost you gold. Which to do it, gold yeah. is what you need to place, and also gold is points at the end. So it's not a free, complete dickery movie. It's no, a yeah, decision yeah. to be made, yeah. 100%, 100%. And I like the fact that you could stretch over into two, two areas. So you would have a dragon in two areas, but it costs you a lot, a lot of gold to do it. So lots of things to think about. I didn't think I was going to enjoy this, but I ended up really enjoying it. It was, it was a good, solid game. Here's a thought for you. The concept that there are wanted posters for ships, which dragons can collect, does that suggest some sort of dragon police or bureaucracy or sort of dragon sheriffs? Dragon pirates. But what the ships are pirates? <laughs> the ships are merchant ships. Oh, well, that's less cool. I wanted a dragon sheriff. Okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sea dragon does what I thought it would do. It's attractive, it's fun, it's quick, it's more thinky than you think it's thinking. You play your first dragon down, you go, oh, there's nothing to this. And then immediately the second dragon, you're like, oh, I can't go adjacent to that one. Um, (laughs) You start thinking, (laughs) but not for too long. So I like it. I think it's a hit. I think it's strange that no one's been talking about it because to me, it has all the ingredients to be a sort of breakout hit and perhaps it'll get picked up. Maybe by the Dice Tower Essentials. (laughs) I can stop this in them. Okay. This, this, because I am sure on things having been dissed so far, Sean, I think we should march suddenly onto this next. <laughs> hit! Hit! It's a hit! Yeah, it is a massive hit. I don't know anyone other than ourselves that say otherwise. Anyway, it's Pray Another Day from Pegasus Spiel. And I didn't even know this, but it's designed by Matthew Dunstan and Brett J. Gilbert, who are renowned designers. Yeah, I don't know. It's a... <laughs> I'm shrugging it, Sean. That's why it's, it's, a, a, it's a nursery slash kindergarten game dressed up as a clever cartoon. What is it? <laughs> what is that? What is that game? It's the nothing. Whole ga- the whole game is you've got five animals and they go from one to five. The bear being one and the mouse being five. And you lay down a card. If someone else has got the same card, you're out. And then if you've got the lowest number then you get to eat one of the higher numbers because you're they are your prey. And you yeah, guess if you're the only bear, you get to announce, bad. right, fine, I'm eating owls. And if anyone is, because everyone's for cards face down, if anyone else has been an owl, they're dead. They're dead However, if someone else get, played a bear, you're dead. You don't know. No, you're like, not dead. You're just out of the round if you've got another bear. Oh, really? Okay, sorry. Yeah. But if you're dead, you're dead. Yeah, if, if you get eight, you're out, out the, the next three rounds. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm reviewing I bought this game. in visual form here. I'm just answering it. What? I don't, what? How are adults getting excited about Prey Another Day? There's nothing, nothing there. It reminds me a little bit of the mind. People going, oh, I, I knew it. I worked it out. You didn't. It's the first round. You had no idea what I had. <laughs> I could have had any one of the four. You had a 25% chance of getting it right. You guessed right. Well done, you. I don't care. I bought this game because my fi- I thought my five-year-old would enjoy it. And you know what? 
my five-year-old does enjoy it because he can play it and he can play it with us and he can laugh when he eats daddy's card. There you go. That's that is the only use for pray another day. <laughs> you know, we a lot of games have got ages and up, so eight and up, ten and up. This should be six and down. <laughs> no higher than six. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's enough of that nonsense. Let's move on. We are going to get to the top fifteen now. Why is it not a ten? Because twenty twenty two was a fantastic year for games. It's one of the strongest years, in my opinion, in a long time. Once I was looking through what had came out last year, I was a bit mind blown. Sean agreed with me for once, and he was like, "Yeah, we do need to do more than a ten because there are just so many great games." After this, we are going to do a swift rundown of what is the top 20 of 2022 according to BGG and probably pick on some games that you love. Actually, I, I, there's none there that are bad as far as I can see. Sean, you and me, you and me. Usually, it's usually me, isn't it, first, isn't it? 15? You, you, you first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go, you go with your number 15 of a great year, 2022. So you've got to be good to get in this. There ain't no freebies here, but this one <laughs> snuck in at the latest LobsterCon, and it's another one I'm about to talk about. I've kind of ruined the next episode already. But it's a word game, which it was one of the prizes in the raffle, and I sort of didn't pay it any attention. And then Vicar won, and she went and she picked it up out of there was big games and that. And then she came to me on the Sunday and was like, Do you want to play this? I'm like, Where is it? Why did you pick that? Oh, it was recommended to me. So we got it out, and you play in teams, a bit codenamesy, and each round, one person for each team is the spirit. They look at a card together, they decide on which an object and then their team has to ask them questions via a card which the other team can't see and then they start writing an answer and when their team decides they've got enough letters one at a time they stop them so each team is getting bits of information all the time they're getting answers to their own question and half the answer to someone else's question and the cards restrict what you can ask so you got to ask like in smart ways and it keeps everyone involved and it's kind of got that Oh, wacky outy, but you're still in the teams you can chat to each other, but you can't chat too much to the team and listen. It worked incredibly well. Phantom Inc. It's my number 15. Yeah, I heard you talking um, about it. It sounds interesting. I'm not always the biggest fan of, of those sort of wordy games, but I'll definitely give it a go because when they hit, they hit really well for me. So, my number 15 is Acropolis. Acropolis, even. I'll get that right. From Gigamic, designed by Jules Massort. And Acropolis is a tile-laying game in which uh, you've got different colours, parts of a city, you're building up this Acropolis. I can't, I can't say that word. Acropolis. <laughs> and you're building it up and like, for instance, um, reds want to be at the edge of, the, of your city, blues want to be all together, you can't put yellows together, all that kind of thing. And it's a... It's a a selection of the tiles is very similar to Small World, where you you have to pay to go further down the list of the, the row of the tiles. I just thought it worked really well. It doesn't last more than 20, 25 minutes. There's a lot of thought and planning in that 25 minutes. And yeah, I, I just thought it was a really good filler game. I thought it was solid. I thought it was good. I happily play it. It didn't do anything unique for me to push it into the upper echelons. But it was fine. Cool. Happy days. 14, London. My number 14 probably deserves to be higher up, but I haven't played it enough to push it higher up. It is a thinky Euro with plenty going on, which when I saw it from afar, I thought might be too much going on, but it proved me wrong. And Sabika absolutely hit home hard for me. 
I enjoyed it very much. I still don't have my copy. I should go and fix that. I might do it while Sean's talking about his 14 because Sabika was one of the Euro highlights for me of 2022. A proper interactive you're playing against each other there's limited chances you've got to grab those opportunities when they come up a lot going on but it all meshes together very well beautiful great game sabika i've still not played it i got it at essen and i still haven't played it yourself our friend steve i've seen great reviews of it all saying it's a really good solid euro game you you will love it it is right I must there. admit, I was put off. It does look like a tough learn. So I've, I have been put off a little bit by that. But yeah, I'm, I am really looking forward to playing it. My 14 is Encyclopedia by the sadly departed Holy Grail Games. Designed by Eric Dubus and Olivier Melisson. Effectively, what Encyclopedia is, it's a, a massive set collection. You're, you're collecting animals and into your tableau various ways and trying to get them to museums to display them it's quite a simple framework of a game but there's, there's enough going on beautiful design craft and which holy grail were actually known for and i thought it just all pulled together into a really enjoyable experience not too taxing but just enough there to, to have a, a good night not too taxidermying no wait <laughs> Do you know what? I have no idea what this is. There's too far too many Victorian collecting animal games around the place. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah. No. Okay, cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I don't know what it is, bro. (laughs) Moving on. We have traditions. And the tradition on the game pit is that you have a go at me for picking Shady Torbay single player games. But, But my number 13 is their best in a very long time. It is Stellarian. It's a solo game like all of them in the Omniverse. Right, it's an Omniverse game. It's got the artwork, which in this, because it's not too ambitious, the artwork, it doesn't really matter too much. You're, you're drawing celestial bodies. It's about manipulating various decks of cards, in which the top one is face up, and collecting sets but, but by manipulating as the cards come out, which cards are on top of the deck face up. It works incredibly well. It's very challenging. Once you get over that challenge, which takes a while, there are then good modules, which retain the format retain the feel of the base game as opposed to some of the, the modules and some of these omniverse ones go a bit wacky it's been a challenge that i love to get out it's quick to play it's easier to learn it's very hard to master it's a very good solo game and stellarian is my number 13 i really tried to get in i can't even remember which is it onirim or onorian or something like that yeah something like that yeah something like that yeah i really tried to get into it and i just couldn't i I had it on my phone on the app and i played it a few times and i just got really frustrated and deleted it and the artwork isn't exactly going to pull me in is it no it's not so we'll move on (laughs) because i know you weren't happy with that one your number 13 my number 13 is caldera park from Deep Print Games, it's a Keesling and Kramer game. It's a follow-up to Savannah Park, is that the one? Yes, yes. <laughs> But with a little bit more going on in terms of you've got weather systems that are going to move in, etc. It's a tile-laying game where you're trying to group animals and get them around watering holes. And when the weather comes up, it can nullify the animals so you have to be clever how you put your tiles out and try and score as best you can there's lots of different scoring mechanisms 
I think this one was a bit of a slow burner for me. I liked it when I first, but I preferred Savannah Park. And then Nat really liked it, so we bought it and we played it again and again and again. Now James has joined us, and I'm really finding the love for it because there's, there's there are little tactics and techniques you can use as you as you evolve in the game yourself. So yeah, in Caldera Park, my number thirteen. It was a contender, but it didn't make it. But uh, I'm surrounded by people who love it, so I will be playing it for a long time. No doubt. <laughs> it's a very good game. Don't get me wrong, it was a contender. Okay, my number 12 is a weird game. It's beautifully produced. It is a cooperative. It's called Paint the Roses. It's set within the Wonderland setting. And it gives you a spatial puzzle to try and solve while the game is constantly rushing you. It's the Queen of Hearts is constantly coming at you. And between you, you're trying to solve these cards and work out the clues that each person holds secretly and what patterns they're after. And it's about hidden communication, but being very smart in what information you can reveal about your own and other people's cards as you're playing and choosing tiles to put into place within a framework. It has a plethora of, again, scenarios, some of which are better than others, some of which are much more sort of graspable than others. I think that the presentation within the rules and how to do scenarios let it down quite heavily because once you get to extended play past the base game, you needed more guidance, not just throw a bunch of modes at you which didn't work for all player counts. But for its uniqueness, for its challenge, for its lovely presentation, for its theme, for the way it really stretches how you communicate as a group and makes you think of that sort of extract not just deduction but what's the other one i was gonna say induction but i think that's more to do with electricity at work and i'm a bit tired after nights but the other <laughs> the other one where i'm not just giving you information i'm giving you negative information which you need to work out as well paint the roses is a tricky co-op but a lot a lot of fun i enjoyed it greatly it certainly looks beautiful. We played this, the three of us, myself, you and Rachel, and I was surprised that how much I did really get on with it and really like it. I think it's a game that I very much have to be in the mood for, and that's why it hasn't made my top 15, because there are times when I just don't want to play it. But when I am in the mood to play it, I think it's a really strong puzzle game. So, yeah, good shout. Cool, cool, um, cool. You're 12, Sean. My number 12 is The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim The Adventure Game. There's a mouthful from Modifius Entertainment, designed by Javier Angariz Calborasi, Juan Enrique Echenique, Stefano Guerrero, and Rob Harris. Thanks, God, for Rob Harris at the end there, because I was, I was butchering it. I, I think you actually got that wrong. It's Bob. <laughs> Bob Harris. Ah, oh, darn it. I love Skyrim. I was always going to be inclined to like this game it's not perfect but what it does well it does very well i love the way that like the game itself the enemies ratchet up with you so you're not going to have really simple battles as you get better at the game yourself i love the small little puzzles it presents and it's set in the world of skyrim so i yeah as i said i was always going to love it so that was my number 12 i know you've played this one Roland. i have played it and i found it to be good i think that it was a slightly uneven i think that if you knew the law you probably get more out of it it was a lot to learn 
It was a lot to learn to take in for the experience that you get. I think it was the leveling system of how you do encounters was very simple and very clever that the game kept up with you with the challenge. There was a lot to like there. It was um, perhaps a little bit too sandboxy for me, similar to the computer game. But I think for what they were trying to do, they did an amazing job. Cool. So, real number 11. I'm going to go to almost the opposite set end. Uh, it's basically an abstract tile-laying game. It's part of the family of Nova Luna and whatever the other one is. It's Framework, in which players are drafting tiles, and the tiles have on them frames of different colours and also scoring opportunities by making groups of frames of certain colours and it's a very simple drafter we're creating your own little puzzle in front of you however it's very satisfying it's easy to see what other players are trying to do it's a race to get all your points scored as quickly as possible and this one definitely influenced by the fact that rachel absolutely loves it so got it out again and again and again played it with lots of different people very easy to teach it's a smooth challenging experience so framework yeah i had no real desire to play this one at all but i've heard nothing but good things about it so i might have to swallow whatever distaste i have for it and uh, and give it a go because it does them looks like ain't gonna pull you in you're not gonna be happy with them looks <laughs> they're not but looks aren't everything as we found out through our lives <laughs> <laughs> thankfully okay my number 11 is endless winter paleo americans from fantasia games and designed by stan Kordonsky. So Endless Winter Paleo-Americans is, I would, I would say, it's a collection of games. An overarching experience that involves lots of different sub-games. You've got like an area control bit going on. You've got a set collection bit going on. You're building up your board to make it more productive and lots of different things going on. And I think they pulled it together. I know you've slightly differed on this one. I think you, you felt it was a little bit too much going on. But I thought it kept my interest and we could all go down our own paths. And I loved that in games. I loved that I can completely do a different thing and vie with somebody else for the victory. So this one, I did think it pulled together. The the design quality also was, was absolutely stunning. I always loved the Miko's artwork on, on things. So, yeah, that's why Endless Winter Paleo Americans is my number 11. Yeah, it was... It was decent, I'd play it, it was just too much for me, I think there was too many different things piled on top of each other, but there is yet another way in which you and I differ. Indeed, okay. We are now into top ten country. Oracalcum. We didn't have the best introduction to it, we played it very hungover in essence, (laughs) very hungover. Two player, which isn't the best way to play it. But it is, uh, again, a tile drafter in which you're attempting to build up your own little board and get areas together of different types of buildings. But as you draft, you're going to do things like be dealing with monsters that you pull out yourself, trying to um, build up your economy. Very simple one, economy of soldiers and economy of money. It's got an overarching sort of Atlantis Greeky theme, but I guess not really. It is a definite race. It is despite the fact that you are building on your own board, which would tend to suggest it's more solitaire, it is not. It managed to make that style of game into something competitive where you have to be aware what the other players are doing and what they're going after and you're in the racing and there are temporary points you can take off each other and the timing of that can be very important and i just i had to feel i wasn't there this one wasn't happy down like is this is this good enough for top 15 is it do i love it do i do it it does everything well i decided it's number 10 it was hard but it's number 10 i decided i don't know (laughs) 
As you said, my introduction to it wasn't wasn't the best. You've had a chance to play it since I haven't. So at the moment, I thought it was fine. A little bit tit for tat. I, I, I thought when taking the taking the discs off each other and and winning them back and things. I like think that. that's the that's a product of playing it two player. I think with more Maybe. players, it slightly opens up a bit. Plus, you've got a, a Fritz Patrick's minus two on your score to it. Okay. <laughs> All right, so I'll move on to my number 10. It is Marrakesh, and it's the Queen Marrakesh from Stefan Feld that came came out, obviously, in 2022, and not the other one where you're laying bits of carpet. The game hinges on the action selection where you're taking these little keshis in different colours and they're going to power your actions and the way you do that is you drop them into a cube tower or a keshi tower and it can be quite mean how you take things because you can take other people's stuff that they've dropped in everyone will drop um, two keshis in and you can take other people's stuff so in that way it can be a little bit mean but it can be quite tactical as well as with the Steffenfeld game, there are, are absolutely myriad of things to do. There are so many things. Each Keshi, and there's about eight or nine different colours, and each one of them represents a different way that you can score points or a different track or a different action. So there's lots to think about. What am I going for? What am I going to hone in on? How am I going to stop the other people? So I, I found it to be a really, really entertaining experience. I still have to get my head around it a little bit because there is a lot going on. And that's why it's number 10. I think it could go higher. But for now, number 10, Marrakesh. I think I'd like to try it. I'm a bit wary. It feels like there's a lot going on again. Seems similar to Paleo-Americans. What surprised me though, Sean, I have noticed uh, skimming through Geekless recently, Bonfire has stuck around a lot. People are still playing Bonfire from him, one we didn't love. Yeah, we didn't get on with that one at all. I didn't, yeah. I thought that was one of his poorer designs. And I've recently played Hamburg, which is the re-implementation of Bruges. And I have to say that that, it's just a poor game. It's just a poor design of a game. But we'll talk about that another time. Oh, we will. All right, damn. Shots fired. All right, let's go on to number nine. Number nine is another rehash of a game, but one I feel like in which they have honed the system to as it should be, perhaps. And it's Clank Catacombs. Now, Clank is a deck builder, a competitive deck builder, in which you're going to go into a dungeon, try and grab some loot and get out before the dragon burns you all to death. In Clankett's game itself, the first one, I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. There were a certain number of plays, and then I was done, because you're always on the same map. The genius of Catacombs is that it is modular. Yes, it's the same tiles, so you're going to see similar things, but they will be laid out in different ways, and the routes are very challenging as well. So I, you kind of had a feeling from playing Clank that it's all right, wherever I go, doesn't matter, I'll be able to get back. In Catacombs... The nature of the maps means that it creates worlds and dead ends and suddenly you find if you're not paying attention to the tiles and how they're coming out and you're not controlling the map, you can find yourself completely screwed and not able to get back to where you need to be. So you need to be aware of that. There are more mechanisms. There are more opportunities to score points. There are more routes to go down. There are prisoners to release and keys to get and various different things. I think that Clank Catacombs is the culmination of a fine system into a very very good game there you go my number nine i really like clank i have the legacy version that uh, someone someone very close to this podcast bought for me for a present one year and it's coming to the top of my two playlist finally 
It's getting there. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, Clank has always been, a, it's always been a, a favourite for me. So I'm looking forward to playing that. And if you say Catacombs is, is one of the better ones, I shall certainly look forward to playing that too. I said it was the best one, actually. Okay. <laughs> My number nine is Lacrimosa from Devere, designed by Gerard Asens and Ferran Ramales. Lacrimosa is you're an acolyte or a follower of Mozart and you are he's just died or something and you're trying to spread his fame across you know, Europe and you're doing this and this is where the, the, the crux of the game is you've got the you've got cards that you decide whether you're going to use the top half of the card or the bottom half of the card and you lay it and that is your order that you're playing your actions for the round whether you're playing it for the top half or the bottom half so you're, it's kind of a pre-programmed round that you're playing. So things can happen that can mess you up if other people don't do what you expect them to do. But generally, you, you're always able to do something. Beyond that, it's a fairly standard Euro game. But I like fairly standard Euro games. A lot of economy going on, a lot of travelling around, getting resources, building up things, going up tracks. Everything that I love in the game. And with that little tickle of having that really unique action selection system it's the thing it's a me thing <laughs> it's not a you thing it's a me I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. my number eight <laughs> is the gentlest most gentle touch of cardboard that will ever feather gently down your little nose jean Sean yep. co-op tile layer dwarf romantic <laughs> it takes the video game into board game it has that app thing of giving you achievements and unlocks so it gives you that slight dopamine waft of oh there's more things oh there's another tile oh it's slightly different to the last game only slightly and we're all working together and it's very gentle and it's a beautiful peaceful shared game space in which to relax i have got great pleasure from dwarf romantic this year it's my number eight i keep sniffing around it it's never quite cheap enough for me to say, you know what, I'll give it a go. I'm just worried it's going to be a little bit too light for me. But then again, maybe it's a perfect one to play with James and even introduce Tommy to. So, I mean, I've told you that a hundred times. You don't want to listen to me? You don't want to listen to me. It's fine. It's, it's on the radar. It's on the radar. Anyway, my number eight, slightly deeper game, is Space Station Phoenix, Rio Grande, designed by Martin Hoffman and Klaus Steffen. Space Station Phoenix is... And here is here's the little tickle with this one for me. It's a decision between building up your space station and deconstructing your space fleet. Your space fleet are what gives you all the actions. <laughs> I'm being mocked for my for my uh, hand gesticula- gesticulations. <laughs> And uh, now I've got to think about it doing while, while holding my hands down now. <laughs> You're a knob. That was and, performance art. He was actually breaking down his fleet as he was talking to you. I was breaking down my fleet. Ding, ding. <laughs> and that is where the, the love of this game comes because you've got to make a decision. Eventually, the only way you're going to score points is by building up your space station. But to enable those points, you've got to have the right types of ships. You can also piggyback on other people's ships. So do I get rid of all one type of action that that a ship would give me and say, right, I'm going to rely on Ronan's. He could see this and go, well, I don't need that anymore, so I'm going to get rid of it. And all of a sudden, I've only got the bog standard rubbishy one. 
So there's that player interaction too. So that's why I really enjoy this game. A good solid Euro game, but with those little tweaks to it that make it interesting. Only reason I think it didn't make it is because I've only played it once. And other than that, I think it would have been there. It was it was in consideration even with the single play. I enjoyed it greatly. It is an intimidating learn, but it was worth it. So yeah, good choice. I like it. Um, I went from a number eight, nice and peaceful and relaxed, to number seven, a mean two-player game in which you are going to be absolutely attacking each other. But as Sean says, because it's the whole point of the game, it's not optional, you have to be mean, it is okay. And it's Splendor Jewel. And Splendor Jewel took the Splendor format, which I never got on top of. It's, it's cool to hate Splendor, whatever. I quite enjoy Splendor for what it is. Splendor Jewel is fantastic. I have played it with some people who were dismissive of the whole idea of Splendor Jewel, and I have converted them. Everyone who's played it has enjoyed it. And I just think it was a fantastic, not just a reworking, but a taking of the, the concept is very much a Splendor game, but it has been turned into and adapted very cleverly to make it a vicious two-player experience. I think it was a brilliant, brilliant attempt at that. So, yeah, Splendor Jewel. I love it. Well, I remember a long, long time ago playing Splendor and not really liking it. I couldn't even tell you why anymore. But uh, that's why I never really even considered Splendor Jewel. But it is getting quite a bit of buzz going around the place. So maybe, maybe it's another, it's another maybe. So my number seven, and I know this has got to be somewhere on Roland's list, is Carnegie from Queen of Games, designed by Xavier George. Carnegie again is one of those Euro games that recently, and there's been a lot of those really interesting twists. And the twists with Carnegie is the well, there's a few. There's a few in it. Your workers have to move around your player board, so a little bit like maybe uh, Key Flower, you have to move things around to get them into the right areas. Also, your player space builds up as as you build it up. You also your tableau grows, and your ability to do different actions and more powerful actions grow with the game. Also, you've got a big board that you're putting your your workers out to score points and to get things from. That again, you've got a tie. It's all about timing. It's all about planning, and it's a really clever game. It's also a wonderful production, absolutely stellar production. And yeah, I just thoroughly enjoyed my my plays of Carnegie. My number six is oh. Sniper Elite, <laughs> okay. in which one player is a sniper and everyone else are the soldiers attempting to find them. There are three teams that always attempted to find them. It, I think it works with two, three, or four players. I think it's a game in which communication is very key. Again, another one that adapts a computer game and keeps the feel off. The sniper feels like they are constantly under threat and always on the brink of being found. Very rare you'll, you'll have a term where, like, oh, I've got away, got free. They are forced to give themselves away just by achieving their objectives. So at some point, you're going to give the other team clues as to where you are, but they can get clues anyway sort of by doing broad, vague sweeps and then trying to hone down and narrow down. So the sniper constantly feels like they're under pressure. The other team playing as the Germans in this as the setting, they feel like the sniper is some uber-powered 
ghost-like superhero who can do whatever they like. And the feeling of the difficulty of the two sides, I think, is incredibly well balanced. I think it's a very simple system, but has enough moving parts that there is variety within games. I've got the expansion and I'm waiting to put that into play. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but if you like the concept, you like the idea, you're going to love Sniper Elite it's that sort of game done incredibly well. Love it. I really like hidden movement games and I don't play nearly enough of them. So this is one I would actually say, Ronan, I would like to play this next time I'm, I'm down at yours. 21st, my man. 21st, Christmas games. <laughs> and yeah, I... As I said, I love them, so yeah, let's do it. Okay, my number six is The Return to Dark Tower from Restoration Games, designed by Tim Burrow-Sword, Isaac Childress, Noah Cohen, Rob Davio, Justin D. Jacobson, and Brian Neff. I never played the original Dark Tower. I believe it was more popular in, in the US than it was over in the UK. But what this game produces is, first of all, you've got the bling. You've got this big tower that spews out skulls, and where the skulls land is where things happen. You've got an app that's driving the game. You're moving around this circular board around the Dark Tower, and you're trying to just quell things, quell uprisings, kill beasts that are threatening to cost you the game, and eventually work your way up to the big bad and take on the big bad. It's all very, very polished, very well done. The theatre is in the the big tower, spinning around, making noises, and when the skulls have come out onto certain areas, you have to react to them because your buildings can start to get destroyed and they're the things that give you your actions and your powers so yeah a very well done production and in this house we absolutely love it return to dark town my number six yeah i need to try it i had none of the nostalgia for it i've no idea i don't remember the original game so it didn't fuss me the big buzz when they were bringing it back i just thought i'd wait and see how it worked and if you love it then certainly i'll be happy to have a sit down and have a bit of crack and play it with you cool right Top five. I think this will be on Sean's list, but I'm not sure. (laughs) It is a very heavy, very deep, very cold cooperative game. Another computer game. I think my last one, a computer game adaptation. It is Frostpunk. Frostpunk is intimidating in many ways. It's a big box. It's a lot of rules to take on board, although actually it's very smooth to play. Each of the different phases of the of each turn interlinks with each other, which makes it quite intimidating and hard to learn. However, once you get it rolling, it makes sense how they want to interlink. It's just very difficult at the beginning to be able to make informed decisions because you can't tell the impact of your decisions. Once you get into it, you realise that there are many different paths of going down. There are many different ways of dealing with this. There are moral choices to be made, and none of them are without consequence within the game. It's not like trying to guilt you into making choices. It's saying that you can do that. This is how it will impact you. You have to manage your people. You have to manage their morale and their food and their shelter. You might have to make short-term sacrifices for long-term game. And yet, if you do not look after the short and medium term, you will lose the game quickly. It gives you greater things to aspire to. There is a, a set of scenarios in which you build up and then you're exploring more and more of the game. It is an absolutely amazing game production which you cannot play every day because your mind would 
spend, which when you finish playing, you end up thinking through, oh, we could have done this, we could have done that, would that be better, would this be better? And you go into the next game with plans to attempt to try out. It sits at number five only, I think, because we haven't played it enough for it to be gone up through the games ahead of it, which we have played much, much more often. But an incredible achievement from, uh, is it Glass Cannon Unplugged, I think. Frostpunk, my number five. Lovely. My number five is, I don't know if I've upset Ronan, is Planet Unknown from Adam's Apple Games and Ryan Lambert and Adam Rayberg. Planet Unknown is famous for the Lazy Susan that you are selecting your tiles from. It's another polyominoes style game, but this one is basically driving you up multiple tracks. Love the Lazy Susan effect in that you choose your tile and everyone else has to just make the best of what they're given. You can chain things together. I love games that you can where you can chain multiple things together. It's not the most thinky game in the world, but it's, I, I genuinely have so much fun playing it, and that's why it's my number five. It's Planet Unknown. You're not upsetting me. I think it's a good game. I have fun playing it, exactly what you say. I just think it is uh, each play is kind of inconsequential, and when you get a mix of company and extra planet, which you're going to do after a few games, it it puts you in a position of like, well, this is how this game's going to go. You know, you, you might get a funny combination of tasks between you and your neighbours. You don't have much choice over what tile you take, but it is a fun experience. I've got nothing against Planet Unknown, uh, but slightly puzzled as to why it's got so many awards and why it's so incredibly well-received. But I liked it. I enjoy it, and I'll play it anytime you want, Sean. Cool. Lovely. You're number four. This is... To me, a very surprisingly Marmite game. It's Mosaic from Forbidden Games, Glen Drover. It is an attempt at covering everything within the first part of a Civ game, the Ancients and Classics era, quickly with very quick turns, in which each turn can be done within a few seconds and you can whiz round the table. But you're still making choices. You're still getting a presence on a shared board. You're driving how your civilization is going to work via a set collection of cards with different icons which will power you up and give you different scoring things. I'm amazed because it's an attempt at taking all of these concepts, putting them into sort of a three-hour framework and making it accessible and quick and quick playing. I'm amazed how Marmite it is and that people have not enjoyed it as much as they have not enjoyed it and yet other people have enjoyed it as much as they have enjoyed it. I don't... Yeah, I can't quite get it. The big mistake to me was... They were very incredibly clear on how to manage the length of the game and they erred on the side of making it longer so that everything in the game gets done where I think it works much better if you make it a shorter game and people are having to race for things and not all opportunities are going to be taken. You do that very simply by just moving some cards up within the deck. There are in-game cards. Because where they go is dependent on player count as well and also a bit on experience... I feel like we needed more guidance on how to get the correct timing. However, when you get the correct timing and people are playing quickly, I think that this is a fantastic, broad, almost epic experience and that has been very successful. And I think that Glen Drover is doing attempts at taking these big game concepts and making them approachable. And Mosaic for me was a big hit at doing that. So my number four for the year, Mosaic. It's another one along with Sabika that I own and have still not gotten to the table. It's 
it's one that I think I really, really enjoy from hearing from you. Also, Glenn Drover has done some good stuff in the past. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing it, but still not quite managed to get to the table. So my number four is Federation from Explore 8, designed by Dimitri Perrier and Mathieu Verde. It's, a, it's set in space, and it's another one of those games where there are multiple, multiple tracks that you can go up on, multiple things that you can do. A little bit like the Paleo-Americans. A little bit like that, lots of things going on, but a little bit simpler than that. And the big catch, again, I'm doing this a lot with my games. There's, there's like a, a central catch that's drawing me in, and what I'm finding around it is, is a really good game too. But the central catch is... Your workers are twofold. You can either play them for the, the straight up power and they give you more power on the on the tracks, or you can play them as a vote. And wherever you play the worker, you're going to vote for certain cards that are turned over each round. And that is going to enhance the scoring of one of the tracks on each side. So if you are moving up heavily on one track, you're going to want that one to win the vote. So you've got to balance driving up on the different tracks with voting for the one the track that you want to win really clever game really underrated i think it's flown under the radar massively i've only ever seen good ratings for it when it has been reviewed so i think do yourself a favor guys go out and check federation i think it's a really strong game do yourself a favor and get me in the game of this soon before i have to attack you (laughs) <laughs> I've got it right next to me here. I'll bring it down when I come. How many times have I asked you? Oh, you're a terrible man. You're a terrible <laughs> man. Okay. He's gonna. He's not going to be happy with me. Oh, Number no. three is a co-op. He knew this was going to be high up on my list. It is another adaptation of a classic, and it is Myths Over Carcassonne. It takes the Carcassonne format and turns it into a cooperative game in which, as you play tiles, there are ghosts on the tiles, and you have to manage them. It goes through different levels of challenge from not that hard to, oh my God, how do you ever win that top level? I don't know how you win it because I certainly have never won it. We might have played it slightly wrong for 20 games, but we've also played it right for 20 games now, so that's fine. It is certainly much more challenging than I thought a cult version of Kark would be, With you know, given the massive market for it. I thought this might be a bit watered down. It is not. It is tough. There are genuine choices. There are problems to manage. You have to be very clever with your spatial awareness. A lot of the time, you very much have to set up multiple scoring, yeah, as in getting different colours into a city and stuff like that. It works very well as a two-player game because you're just managing two colours of meeples to make your scoring more efficient. I think it is absolutely brilliant. Much better than a co-op version of Carcassonne has any right to be coming out this long into the that game's story. We have loved it. It's going to be an evergreen. Sean, I think, has a different opinion. You know what? I've come to the realisation I'm probably wrong about it because everyone tells me it's great and I'm very much in the minority. minority. You are a minority, that's true. <laughs> And I think, I did a little bit of thinking, I think what it is, is Carcassonne very much represents a relaxing time for, for me and Nat when we play Carcassonne. It's not the, it's not the cutthroat experience that Carcassonne can be if you, if you go down that path. So I think when this one kind of forces you out of your comfort zone a little bit, 
in your Carker's own comfort zone. So I think that's maybe one of the reasons I didn't your particularly car enjoy comfort it. zone. Oh, he's on form today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so yeah, I think that's probably why I didn't quite take to it as as much as I possibly could have. But yeah, I'll admit when I'm wrong. <laughs> so my number three is Foundations of Rome from Arcane Wonders and Emerson Matsuchi. It is a spectacular production, and I'm not I'm not going to lie to you, that will have some bearing on why I like it so much, because it is absolutely stunning. Did you say that's 90% of the reason why it's your number three? <laughs> not quite 90%, 84 And I love the simplicity of this game. You're simply buying up spaces on the board or um, putting buildings into them to score points, to score money, to score whatever you... And it's just—it's such a simple game, but so cutthroat, so engaging, so interactive, and I just really enjoyed every single one of my plays with this one. Um, we've been eyeing it up for, for another trip to the table recently so it's coming to the table again soon and yeah that's why it's my number three really really strong game foundations of rome i borrowed it from you for a long time other people played it in my house and i still haven't <laughs> played it so i have to say i'm not grabbed by the concept it does seem a, a little overproduced and overwrought but i'll i'll happily give it a go and happy to be proven wrong it was said that it could be a tile game I think I might I might prefer the tile one. Okay. <laughs> My number two was close. It was close at the top between these two games. But for me, the best board and dice Euro game to come out recently is unlike most other board and dice Euro games. I am at odds with the rest of the world with this, having looked at the top 20 as well, because it does not appear, where, whereas Tiletum does appear in the top 20 of the year. But Terracotta Army... Reminds me of a of a brighter age in gaming. Sean, I've looked at sort of the games that are hitting the heights for 2023 as we're getting towards the end of this year. And I am completely at odds with most of them. Much more so than 2022. My taste, I think, is drifting away from what people are producing. Terracotta Army harks back to simple actions, interacting on a board... You're spatially scoring. You're managing a couple of resources only. It's very clear what the scoring opportunities are. And it's very interactive how they are taken. And in creating opportunities for yourself, you may be creating opportunities for others. And you're trying to work out how to limit their ability to score of what you're doing. I think it does everything incredibly well in under two hours. It's easy to teach. It's easy to play. But it is not easy to master. To me, it's what Euro should be. Terracotta Army marched into my heart and took my number two spot. You can't march for your terracotta soldier, so maybe they sort of waddled side to side on their plinths. Did you have to do the waddling? I'm going to stop moving in a minute, but bits of me will continue. <laughs> it's going to be longer than a minute, but we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait. Okay. I, I owned this game because you lauded it so much and said it was so, so great. Then I started to see all the negative reviews coming in, and there were quite a lot of people who really didn't get on with it. Romans. So. <laughs> I thought, you know what, if you've got it, I can always play it. So I ended up getting rid of it. I'm not sure I'm going to like it, but I do want to try it. The wheel, the wheel mechanism where you take in your action selection or your resources, that that really appeals to me. What doesn't so much is when you place your 
your soldiers and your horses and all that onto the board and it's kind of a, like an area control tape and there's, you can move things around that can knock people off or take their scoring or something like that. Is that, is that correct? There's inspector scoring each turn and they'll only score the row and column they're in and you can mess with them and people can set themselves up to score a row or column and you can sort of bump it along. Oh, that we won't score. But in doing so, you're foregoing other actions and you haven't to set yourself up to do that and sort of spend the weapon, which means you're not building another type of specialist. It, 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 there's all give and take. It's never as simple as, oh, and by the way, also, I'm going to screw you over. Yeah. I, that's the bit that, that didn't appeal to me, I must admit. But the rest of it really did appeal to me. So I'm not sure which way I'll land on it, but I'm certainly willing to give it a go. I mean, showing I'm an idiot, I hadn't checked the top 20 before I did my... Almost none of my choices were in the top 20. <laughs> I thought this would be a big hit. I genuinely thought this would... For people pay attention to Border Dice. I thought this would go, and I was wrong. You were. You were. My number two is another game that you've had for an awful long time and still haven't played, Ronan. It's My Father's Work from Renegade, yeah, designed is, by T. This, C. Petty. This and my th- amazing, Sean. I have learned it. I have almost played it. I am gagging to play it. You're not getting this one back until I've played it. This looks amazing. This one is very much a take on those sort of horror stories from yesteryear, like the Mad Scientist or Frank and Dr. Frankenstein, that kind of thing, where you're doing experiments and you're creating crazy things and what have you. And it is very hard. It's a worker placement, but it's a worker placement that has an app with it and things genuinely alter based on your choices. If you do something... In, in the storyline, then certain components will come out of a hidden box and certain po- components won't come out and certain buildings will be built and certain won't be built. And, and you're building up this narrative, but also you're building up your opportunity to do things on the game board. Very clever game. R- storytelling is really well done, really atmospheric, looks beautiful. Everything. It's just scream, Sean, play this. And that was the experience I had, I absolutely adored it. So, so it's my number two, my father's work. Gagging to play this. Okay. Now, I have a feeling we have had no crossovers so far at all, which is nuts in our top. <laughs> well, we, I, I think we both know <laughs> we're going to have two crossovers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, shall I name your number one and you name my number one? Yeah, well, we know what they are. So my number one's Carnegie and his number one must be Frostpunk. There you go. So, the easy thing for this, Sean, is that we've got our two games of the year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that our competitive game of the year is Carnegie, and our cooperative game of the year is Frostpunk. There you go. Easy. Carnegie, to me, is amazing. I think it takes a, a Euro format and makes it incredibly thematic in that you are building up an industry, you are building up your income, you're building up what you have produced on the board for an infrastructure. However, that isn't going to score you any points. You must turn this into points in effect by raising a load of money and then buying a load of stuff and, and your infrastructure will score for you. But it's, it's all very integrated into what you're doing. It all comes together. It presents it as an abstract euro. And yet when you stop and think about what I've done, I have created an industry and then I have turned the, what I've made from this industry into points at the end. In a way, it's, to me, is more thematic than a lot of Euros. I think the building of the engine's clever. I think your self-management is clever. I think that the action selection 
in such that you always have to mitigate against what other people may choose because if you're missing out on the areas they're going to choose you're not going to get income if you're missing out on being able to take actions well that they choose then you're not going to take an action that term which is very very possible you can be cutthroat in carnegie you can just go do you know what that action's not great for me but it is nothing to you so therefore i'm gonna take it but because there's a limited number of actions in the game you also must adapt to which ones have been chosen already and say hold on there's only two or three of those actions left now i shouldn't be putting my eggs in that basket i need to adapt to what i'm doing i think it's brilliant in that the players drive the narrative of the game and i have enjoyed it incredibly i played it again recently in lobster con i think it is one of the best games to come out in recent years and carnegie to me is what euro games should B, you've already talked about it, so you might as well tell us about Frostpunk. Uh, Frostpunk for me, uh, Glass Cannon Unplugged, designed by Adam Kropinski. It's very much the type of game that I kind of dream of playing, but they don't get made very often. Now, I will hark back to this. Hold on, hold on. They get made all the time via crowdfunding. They don't get made well very often. (laughs) Okay, well, there you go. Okay, they don't get made well very often. I'll hop back to This War of Mine, where it's... And it just just so happens that these are two quite harrowing stories, This War of Mine more so. But it's... The storyline really comes across, and you really feel the weight of the decisions you're making. And to have that in a board game, I just think is incredible that they've managed to convey that into a board game. There's no graphics going around, there's no sounds coming around like you would in a video game, but they're still conveying that feeling, that foreboding, that sense of, I've got to pull through for my people. And that's what you get in absolute spades with with Frostpunk. You're making moral decisions that are going to affect and they're going to come back to you. They might come back and it might all go well. They might come back and bite you in the bum. You you never really know. So you've just got to do the best with what you can, as you would do if you were ever in that horrible position. It was a slog to learn. It was a hard, hard learn. But once you get there, it all makes sense. It all make it all comes together. It looks beautiful. The crafting is well done. And as I said, I, I just thoroughly enjoy games that make take me away from the real world and make me think about the game. It's all very well sitting there playing an abstract game or a, or a fun game, but you you still know you're in the real world. And you still you're still interacting as if you're sort of talking about what you're having for dinner with Frostpunk it really draws me in and that's why it's my number one of the year and it was it was the easiest choice I had to make on this whole list of where it went very good well I'm happy with the two games we've chosen the games of the year no doubt and to be games of the year in that year of last year that is saying something those are two amazing amazing games I'm going to run down the top 20 very quickly yeah go for it these good people for much longer number 20 was Cat in the Box yeah, no, you didn't. You didn't particularly care for this. I've still got it. We've never played it, but yeah. No, I know. I didn't mind it at all. I, I ha- again, one that I'll play. I think it's a fine game. I just don't think it's as clever as everyone pretends it is. That's what it's not. <laughs> it's not mind bending. Speaking of mind bending, number nineteen, Touring Machine. Not one that ever really grabbed me. I'm not too fussed about it. It's the old Guessy Cody yeah. working things no, out. Never played it. It's supposed to be very clever. That's all I've heard about it. Okay, number eighteen is Flamecraft. Oh, see that one. I th- you guys introduced me to that, and I found it a little bit ploddy. 
a little bit just doing the same thing over and over again following the same you have to follow the the regimen of the game and i just found it a little bit boring by the end i think it's fine i think it's charming i think it accelerates through the gears very quickly i think it's a nice introduction to gaming for people and that was it number 17 one that had issues for me we, we've talked about it <laughs> we've reviewed it tyletum Tylitum was fine. It's a six and a half to seven out of ten all day. No, long. it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> it's a seven with problems, which makes it a five. <laughs> okay, you have got number sixteen. I don't know if you played it. Long shot the dice game. Oh, I have played it. Yeah, I like it. It was it was in under consideration. I haven't played it enough probably, but it's it's fun. It's a fun little dice game. Got a little buzz out of certain cons, didn't it? And stuff mm. that gave it a kick up the bum. Number 15 is the first one to be appear on anyone's list. Return to the Dark Tower. You clearly like it. Yeah, I do like it. I'm surprised it's 15. I thought it'd be top 10 material, but there you go. Tijent. 14 is Great Western Trail Argentina. I have to say that, yes, I fell out of love with Great Western Trail after quite a few games of it. I'm more interested in the New Zealand version, which appears to give more options than playing this one. 100%. Argentina just looks like a slight tweak on Great Western Trail, whereas uh, New Zealand looks like it adds a lot of new stuff in. So It looks like the full twist. It does. 13. It was all right. You liked it. Endless Winter, Paleo-Americans. Yeah, I liked it, as we said already. Yep. Number 12 is a game that gets played at LobsterCon every time now. I'm fine there. I feel like I might dive into one next time around. It's Blood on the Clock Tower. There's a fellow called Nathan Glover who's designed games, runs escape rooms and stuff. And he has taken over running sessions of it. And as sort of as the GM or whatever, apparently makes it so that it lasts an hour and a half, two hours max. Everyone knows what they're doing. So getting into a very heavier social deduction game with someone to ease my path is how I will try it. I am intrigued to play Blood on the Clock Tower. It gets rave reviews. The people who like it are fanatical about it. It's almost got that sort of cult feel about it. It's, it's really popular in certain circles. Come to the next LobsterCon. Let's play it with a few beers. It'll be Let's good. do it. Okay. Number 11 was certainly okay, but had issues. Beautiful presentation. Wonderland's War. I think the presentation has overcome the mechanical flaws. Yeah, I never really fancied it, but I know you, you tried it. But uh, yeah, it's, ooh, looks all right. Number 10, award-garnering Planet Unknown. <laughs> good game. Number 9 is a good game, Clank Catacombs. Fair enough. Number 8 was knocking on the door of my top 15 and I still cannot make my mind up how much I like Revive. I do like it. It's got a couple of twisties on the way to being too complicated. Too many, I play this and then I tweak that and I get that and I get one more of them and hit that and hit that horn and then I'm going to step down. It's a bit like playing a one-man band. One-man band Euros. There you go. I've decided. That's what they're now called. The ones where I start playing my horn and then my trumpet goes and then I'm giving it a bit of cymbal and it's all on the same turn. You can't really tell what's going on there underneath the arches. It tweaks towards being one-man band, but I like it. We're still playing it. I want to get the expansion. This could end up rising over the years. I am played it. gagging to play it. I've owned it. I am gagging to play it. I really want to play it. So it's high on the list for me. Number seven is a tweak on a huge hit. It's Wingspan Asia. Yeah, I thought that was just an expansion, but obviously not. It's a standalone, is it? Standalone. Isn't it a standalone two-player or something? You can use the cards uh, or something. something. No, no, no. Wingspan was enough wingspan for me. I don't mind it. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Number six 
Shanyin Nemesis Lockdown. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got it. Never played it. Played the original Nemesis, which I absolutely adore. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for more of the same with Lockdown. I've played Lockdown. It is certainly more of the same. <laughs> I, didn't, I really didn't remember whether I played Nemesis, Nemesis Lockdown, which one was which. They all combined together. Can be amazing. Very, very difficult to learn. I think, unless you have someone who knows the game incredibly well, hard to play that semi-co-op on the first game. To me, everyone should play co-op for a one game, which is basically playing four hours of learning the game before you can move on to the more expanded <laughs> modes. So much going on. You need someone to talk you through it until you've, you've played a few games. My excitement now is on Nemesis Retaliation. It's a game fan right now. The fact that you can go in and you can fight back, I prefer that style to this. Do you know, to be honest, I kind of lose patience a bit and I always die in Nemesis because I'm like, oh, I'm going for it, I'm going for it. Right, and it's, it's like one in ten that you can do this. I'm going for it! I died. Okay, great. But I have fun. Right, number five. The world is correct. Splendor Jewel is number five for 2022. Okay, okay. Number four is a big old game that you and I have both been saying, oh, we should give that a go, we should give that a go. Oh, fancy a bit of that. But we haven't given it a bit of that. Oathsworn. <laughs> That's the big boss battle thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm. Look, amazing miniatures. People rave about it. As you said, quite rightly, we've been talking, oh, we should give that a go. But yeah, we should give that a go. We should give that a go. Number three is the correct choice for the highest one that we've rated, and it's Carnegie. Fair enough. I can't, I can't argue. One of the games of the year, I'd say. I'd say it is. Unfortunately, Frostpunk does not appear here. In no, the, I, I think Frostpunk release. came out too late, because it was... I, I've tried to crowbar it into the Dice Tower Awards, and like people weren't having a bar of it. I was there, like, it's a really good game. And I think it ended up getting best co-op or something like that but that was it it wasn't even nominated for game of the year you and Camilla that's it that's the only two people who like it <laughs> it just didn't get a wide enough release it was released yeah. it was a big thing and not enough people played it and it is, it is hard to play so anyway yeah. number two Sean mm-hmm. is Heat Pedal to the Metal I played this once and I was very underwhelmed I thought it was just a slightly more involved Flam Rouge and to be honest, I think I'd rather play Flam Rouge. I played this twice. It's good. It's a racing game. I don't love racing games. I don't think you love racing games. It's no, not, not really. It's not, nah, I'm not. It, but it is good. I, again, another one where the the, the heat <laughs> was uh, was a bit puzzling to me. I I don't know how all these people are buying and loving a game that is a simple racing game when other racing games haven't been big hits. I don't know what what makes it unique. It's just caught a certain thing. You know, it wasn't available. It's got a nice presentation. There was a lot of buzz. People were desperate to get it. I think if you're desperate to get something and you're waiting for it and it comes, you're excited. And any of that level of excitement going into a game automatically leads you. It's like when the Kickstarter turns up and it's Kickstarter bump. You're excited to play, therefore you're likely to rate it highly. Yeah, it's the old... Sorry, it's the old Stonemaier trick, isn't it? Don't don't deliver in the the quantities that you know people are going to demand create that clamour and that buzz and then all of a sudden come up with your second wave of stuff and, and push it over the line. I won't have it. The Stonemire would be manipulative and trick people <laughs> slightly like trash. I'm not having that. I'd I know you wouldn't. Know. I knew you wouldn't have that. I knew you wouldn't. No. No, I... What? Yeah, a lovely company. Anyway, number one is the most predictable number one ever, Frosthaven. Ah, there you go, yeah. Have you actually played Frosthaven yet? 
I ain't going for a Stephen. I'm not. I'm playing Gloomhaven on the PC every now and then. Yeah. Uh, I've still got Jaws of the Lion. There's so much gameplay. There's so much. Frosthaven take like years to get through. I would love to have it. I would love to play it. If I had more gaming time, I would have Frosthaven. I have to be realistic at some point. We're moving house next year. It's just going to be four hundred pounds of game that I'm going to have and then have to move. So until I get more time, until work calms down, or I go into a job that's more sane, it's not going to happen, mate. Yeah, I can't justify it. I've, I've barely played Gloomhaven. Can you imagine that arriving? That would be like, right, you're out. Which would be fair enough. You could do fair that. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's our rundown. Awesome. Lovely. Cool to do it with you. Thank you very much, Roland. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, everyone, for listening. You have been listening to the Game Pit Podcast. And as always, we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there. And Even the if we Tower... took the piss about Dice Tower Essentials a little Yeah, I thought you were a bit harsh. <laughs> and no, go you there and You're just the more polite tower. on air than you are really. <laughs> <laughs> For gaming goodness galore. If you, you won't find us on uh, the social media channels, we're probably not as active. You probably won't. You probably yeah, won't. Yeah, we're not as active as we maybe once were. Well, uh, no, we pulled out of X. No, screw that. <laughs> that's, that's bad times. <laughs> and I can't be bothered to do Instagram, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> Sometimes I'll fire a big picture up, and that's about it. And, but the most important thing, Randy. <laughs> If you wish to contact us, and please do, we really do love hearing from people. Like, come to us with ideas for shows, questions you might have. Just abuse us, whatever. Pop along. Say Merry Christmas. Say Merry Christmas to us. We love it. We'll say Merry Christmas back. We'll do a little jig. Pop along to our Board Game Geek Guild, and our email address is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com, which is very hard to say when Ronan is doing a jig. He's told me to do a jig. Cool. Right. We're out. Music by E. Arrow. Boy, 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 bo